Welcome to Noble Warrior Life. This is CK Lin. This is a place where we talk to other entrepreneurs about starting purpose-driven organizations. We're going to be focusing on mindset, mental models, and actionable tactics. Today, I'm really fortunate to have my friend Ron Miller to be with us. Currently, he is the chairman of StartEngine. Uh, it's a crowdfunding platform with 150,000 registered investors. Ron has been a serial entrepreneur. He has been featured on Inc. Magazine. He's been winning awards left and right. He's a very, very accomplished entrepreneur. And I'm really excited to have him here with us for a number of reasons because he has seen uncertain times. He has faced adversity. He has been around the blocks for more than a few times. So I think he has a lot of wisdom and knowledge to share with fellow entrepreneurs like you. Welcome to the show, Ron. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks, CK. It's absolutely an honor to be here. And the reason why it's, I think, even a special honor is because I truly admire the audience who, who takes in and understands and commits to the um, belief that our mindsets are the greatest factor in determining our destiny. So it's a real special opportunity for me to be in a community of people who, I guess, share that belief with myself. So one of the things I want to dive right into it, because I know that we're, you know, have a, a compressed time frame here, is that one of your model, in fact, you trademarked it, is doing well by doing good. So during this time of uncertainty and, and turbulence and chaos, some people may say, hey, CK or Ron, I need to focus on putting out the fire. So don't talk to me about doing good right now. Don't talk to me about purpose. Don't talk to me about mission and higher purpose in any of these things because I got urgent matters to take care of. I'm curious to know your point of view in that. Yeah, well, first off, you know, I want to be fully respectful of those entrepreneurs who have those kinds of pressing challenges that in the moment may seem like there's just no room to take a moment to revisit our intent, revisit our belief in ourselves, to revisit our belief in our mission, and importantly, to revisit our ethic to do well by others. But here's the hard, cold reality. It is absolutely impossible to feel bad about yourself when you're in the process of helping others. So to the extent that there's any entrepreneurs that are looking at their world, and I can only imagine a small restaurateur, for example, who's been serving their community and frankly, you know, it was a good business, but it wasn't one that was making anybody rich necessarily. And then you're looking forward and you're saying, wow, I don't know if I can ever return to my business. So I understand that, that pressure. And yet by looking out and finding a way to help others automatically, puts one in a winning mindset as opposed to a losing mindset. And, I, you know, I'll give you an example there, CK, that just, you know, just showed up for me in the last couple, this week, actually. So you may know or you may recall, CK, that I'm deeply involved in helping the homeless community do better and find ways out of homelessness. And I do a lot of supportive initiatives that get people out of tents and into homes. And in connection with that, I realized that and through some of the agencies that I work with, that there's a dramatic food shortage out there, that they're serving a lot more meals today than they were, and they're short of food because when the restaurants close, restaurants are often the supply source for 
excess food that ends up being distributed at uh, various food banks and, rest and places that serve meals. So at the same time, I've got a friend of mine who is in the restaurant supply business. And as you can imagine, his business has been radically impacted by this ec economic shutdown. And, but I did reach out to him and in the context of helping others, actually what became clear is that there's this new path, a new opportunity, a new market that previously he hadn't been serving, which is the homeless service agencies who are serving lots and lots of meals. Mm. And there's additional funding out there that then is gonna create additional sales for his company in the process of supplying restaurant products to the homeless service agencies. So what I'm saying is, is that even if it's not by design, initial design, once your intent is to go out and help others, then suddenly opportunities arise. And some of it, people believe is, is based in religion, some may be based in karma, some may be based in, you know, it's just that's the way the world works out. Um, but at the end of the day, the moment that you stop and take some time, I don't mean all time because we, we talked about a moment ago, the pressing priorities of many entrepreneurs today are gonna make it pretty difficult for them to find the time and way to help others. But if you do that, my belief is that that is the foundational cornerstone to helping any business recover from the devastating impacts of this economic downturn. Thanks for sharing that. <clears throat> from my point of view, a business, its job is to solve problems for your customers, to service them anyway. So if you, off, if you operate from that mindset, I think that would open up a whole lot of space and, and possibilities from that perspective. So inside of that mindset, there's two different points of uh, views right now. One is, hey, what an opportunity. In Chinese, the, the word crisis has two characters. One is danger, the other opportunity. So on the one hand, some people may say, hey, it's inappropriate to go out and sell right now. Let me not take advantage of this situation. So that may be one, one mindset, one point of view. The other is, hey, this is the time to serve. This is the time to offer value. This is the time to help other people solve problems. This is the time for us to act as leaders. So I'm curious to know from your point of view, because on the surface, it seems contradictory. But in reality, I think everything comes together. So if, can you speak on that a bit about being a leader and serving at this time? Yeah. yeah, even before we get to that, I think there's another foundational element that's critical that I think your audience should understand, which it's kind of simple, CK. And the bottom line is, is that what made your audience members successful? Those basic elements, those basic values and practices are the exact same values and practices that will drive them through this crisis and enable them to recover in a way that reaps huge benefits, not just for the entrepreneur, but also for their customers. And those principles really come down to this. It's hard work. That's the first thing. Everybody who's been successful as an entrepreneur has worked hard, guaranteed. Second is perseverance. Every successful entrepreneur has been knocked down or knocked back. And the, the fortitude to stand back up just one more time is what exactly it's going to take to beat the challenges that have arisen through this economic downturn. So it's hard work, it's perseverance, it's creativity. 
It's doing something better than the competitor. That's what is the basis of most entrepreneurial success is doing it better and being creative in terms of whether that's cost reduction or optimizing result for a customer, any of those things are absolutely essential. And then finally, it's caring for others. And when you add those things together, hard work, perseverance, creativity, and caring for others, I promise any and every listener in your audience right now that those are exactly what is gonna carry us through the crisis. What won't carry us through the crisis is number one, and this one's probably the most troubling for me personally, is watching the number of people just freeze. Deer in the headlights. And time is not your friend in a crisis. Let me repeat that again. Time is not your friend in a crisis. So anytime you hear yourself saying, hey, let me just hold on for a second and let me see how this plays out. You are beginning the process. There is a bad decision that you just made and you're about ready to head down a path of destruction or mitigation at a minimum. And rather than do that, now is the time to act. Well, what do you mean now is the time? Well, look, if you're the kind of person that used to get up every day at seven in the morning, work out, take a shower, show up in the office at nine, my suggestion is to do that which you've always done, which is the hard work. If you stop doing the hard work and just want to think for a while, you wouldn't do that when there wasn't a crisis, so why are you doing it now? In other words, now is the time to, to act. So I think foundationally, that's absolutely critical that the audience understands and that now is the time to be doing those things that are going to lead to our best version of ourselves on the 2.0 version post-COVID. So what I hear in between the lines, you didn't say this, but what I'm hearing between the lines is if you're seeking certainty, double down on your morning rituals, your wake up times. Now is the time to act. That warrior mentality, double down on that in times of uncertainty. Is that an accurate reflection of what you just said? Yes, I, I agree with that. Now is the time to not just follow a routine in the morning, but to realize that it's whatever it is that you've done, whatever the, the audience member has done to get them to where they are, get back to it right now. The wrong thing to do is freeze. The wrong thing to do is stop. The wrong thing to do is sit in your bed and read Facebook for hours or Instagram. <laughs> Help it. And, and that just allows us to become victims of the circumstance rather than taking charge of our own destiny and making okay. decisions about, you know, becoming successful or becoming even more successful post-crisis. I'm observing a phenomena across many people in industries at this point, CK, where they are either, well, the first thing they do is freeze. And the second thing they do is make a lot of bad judgments is what I'm yep. watching. Here. Yeah. And it's, I, I, I don't think, I mean, I, I can't explain why. I mean, I don't know why people do that, but I can say now that, and it's interesting because you're talking to a guy who's motivated by fear. Fear is, oh my God, how am I going to feed myself next month, next week, next year, whenever, because no one else will. And I don't have anybody else who can. And so that puts me in a place where I better start hustling now. I've also told people that, I don't know if you've ever been on an airplane and it's starting to taxi out 
onto the uh, runway and all of a sudden the pilot comes on and say, Hey, we got a mechanical problem. Got to go back to the gate. Have you ever had that? Yeah, of course. Okay. So I'm that guy that as soon as the pilot starts talking, I've been on the flight enough to know how this works. As soon as he said, ladies and gentlemen, and I feel the plane stopping or not getting onto the runway or not moving. As soon as I hear that and I hear his voice, I go, uh-oh, we got a problem. I dial customer service to get my new seat right now. Mm. Others, what they do, oh, my God, I'm going to miss my meeting. And they begin <laughs> to freak out, okay? And then they come out and they say, okay, so when you get off the plane, you need to make a left and go to the customer service counter near gate 42. It's like, yeah, you and the other 249 people that are getting off this plane, good luck trying to get one of those 10 seats that we're on the next flight. Mm. I've already took one. By the way, it's nine now because I already took one because I called into the call center and bypassed that whole process. But what mm. I'm saying to you is that by immediately reacting appropriately to a crisis is that you avert an outcome you were fretting about in the first place. Mm. And that's, and I don't know why people don't do that more often, but I'm seeing some really interesting responses that are a little bit stunning, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, that, that's actually definitely the, the thing I want to get in deeper with you, which is the decision-making framework about this. How can we maximize people making the best decisions possible in spite of the circumstances, the, the inner chaos, the outer chaos? I think it's definitely worthwhile to discuss. Yeah, you know, and, and what I say is that it's just not that complicated. Why? It's because whatever they did to get to where they are, that's what you need to do. Now, let me tell you what it wasn't. It wasn't that you were sitting on your couch one day and suddenly got inspired for a specific vision and then went up and did it. It doesn't work like that. What happened is you had the vision and then you started to put energy at it. And as you began to put energy in research, you found out that your vision needed to be adjusted or adapted. Mm. And so you adjust and adapt and adjust and adapt and pivot or whatever you want to call it until you, until you finally get it to where, yeah, hey, guess what? There's a product market fit here. And that's what needs to happen. Not, you know, sitting around and, and, and waiting until I get the epiphany of the exact mm. solution because no one knows what that is. Mm. And not the way we all know when we sort of dissect our own success. We know that it's not come from a single inspiration that was correct at, mm. out of the gate. And I often tell people all the time, I mean, if you ever study the, you know, if you watched, uh, what was the Facebook movie? I mean, mm -hmm. okay. So what Zook started with was not Facebook. Mm -hmm. what? Face okay. mash was his first thing. Yeah. So that's the point. You know, he came up with face mash. And if you watch the film, he's in his dorm room. I think he quit his classes. He's coding. He's building. He's this, it's that. It's up in the night. He's recruiting partners. He's doing all that shit and he's wrong. But it was that massive action that he took. He had a hunch, then massive action, then adaptation to reality until he got it right. That's what it is. And that's what we've all done to get where we are. Yeah. So you, you, share, you share with it was, uh, with the framework, hard work, perseverance, creativity. And the last one was... I call helping them, others. Oh, helping others. That's right. So that's the framework. I want to make sure that the advice you give are not just motivation and principles. I want to help them translate that into actionable tactics with a little bit of time that we have. Can you help us translate? Here's some of the uh, tactical things that they could do to work harder, persevere more, create more, and then help others more. 
Okay, sure. So let's think about, let's, let's go back to, I think, one of the hardest hit in this particular um, crisis is that of a small restaurant tour. All right. So now we know there have been shutdown orders. In other words, the restaurant is no longer allowed to have customers come into its restaurant, sit down and eat as it's always had in the past. Game over by, by regulation. Mm-hmm. And here in Los Angeles, anyway, they're actually out there writing tickets to business owners who are, who are defying the closure orders. So that's just not an option. One thing, one thing you could do as a restaurant owner is to then say, okay, I've got to get moving and decide that rather than lay in bed and read Facebook and Instagram, I'm going to get up tomorrow morning and figure out what it is that I can do. What can I do to further drive my business? So one thing that could be done, just create, oh, and, and so we're operating on the principles of hard work. Hard work is you got to get up in the morning and put some thought into this. After you do the thought, the next thing is use that powerful tool that we know is Google and get online and research. Well, what are other restaurateurs doing to get themselves through this crisis? Just so you can see, because perhaps there's existing models of success out there that can be replicated and even improved in our own local area to create an even better result. So that's researching what others are doing. That's a second component of hard work. Then the next one is the persistency. In other words, well, they've said we can't have people sit down in here, but we're not gonna accept defeat. We're gonna stand up and say, great, I'm coming at this again. I just gotta come at it in a way that is going to succeed even though no one can sit down in my dining room. And so then the next step of creativity comes in. So what kind of creativity? Well, all right, one thing we could do is, you know, say to ourselves, gosh, I've got an empty kitchen. I've got workers who are at home with nothing to do. And if we leave them at home with nothing to do, they're not going to make their car payment, the rent payment. How am I going to do this? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, one thing you can do is if you start reading the news out there, you realize that all these people that are working in the healthcare system are currently overworked and underfed. And perhaps what we could do is take up a charitable initiative to use the restaurant and its kitchen to essentially cook meals for our local hospital and healthcare workers. And in order to sustain that, we can reach back out to our customers and ask the customers that instead of that extra 20 or $30 they would have spent you know, having lunch or dinner in our restaurant, would they be willing to donate the 20 or $30 so we can cook some meals for the homeless community? I'm sorry, for the, for the hospital and healthcare workers. If we were to do that, we create a win, a tremendous amount of goodwill for that restaurant, tremendous amount of loyalty from its customers who see this restaurant as doing its part to fight this war. Importantly, we put our, our employees back to work. Because I assume that, you know, you're going to start feeding people in the hospital, you know, whatever that is, 100 meals a day or some big number. You're going to need help to do that. And those people need to get paid. And they could be paid directly out of those charitable donations that were received. So that's where the creative aspect comes in. And then finally, that final principle about caring for others. Gosh, what can be more noble than in the middle of this war on this virus? to then go and take care of our soldiers who are known today as doctors, nurses, and all those staff who are working so hard and frankly risking their own health and their own lives even to save the lives of others. 
And, and so that's the caring for others part. So that's, I think, where the four principles can pay out. And then again, you know, it's, it's tempting. It's tempting to go back and, and sit on the couch and grab a bag of potato chips and turn on the latest Netflix thing that you haven't seen this week. And what I'm urging your listeners to do here, CK, is to stand up from that couch and turn off that remote control and get busy. Get busy doing what? Get busy taking your business to an entirely new level based on those principles. And if you don't know how, don't worry about that. You got to research it to figure it out. Believe me, there's some smart people in every single industry who have figured out what they can do to best serve their customers and their community in the midst of this crisis, which then will later engender support, loyalty, and sales, frankly, for that business. So let me recap what you said and underline something that I heard. Again, I mean between the lines. One is fight the inner resistance of sitting around doing nothing, watch Netflix, and just relax at this time. Uh, double down on the time that you wake up, continue to work hard, double down on your, you know, your rituals and research what other people are doing in the same industry and potentially what other people are doing outside of the industry in response to this crisis. And then get creative on one, thinking about the positioning that you are, are at. Let's see you in the restaurant case that you share. Restaurant is a local watering hole, a local place where community people gather. So you are still that in your people's mind. So then look at the core competency that you have, which is to provide nourishment, food for your customers. Now look at what other people are in need, homeless people or the frontline medical staff, they're under tremendous amount of stress. And now you can be that source of nourishment for them and then look to your customers as a way for charitable donations to help fund that initiative. And then now you can put your people to work to provide that nourishment for the frontline staff. Is that an accurate recap of everything that you share? Yeah, exactly. I probably um, missed out on the publicize it. Make sure to hit the local newspaper to tell them what your restaurant is for watering hole is doing. And when you said watering hole, it made me think of a bar. And I thought, wow, I just had this vision of, you know, a, a couple of the employees from the bar standing at the exit of the hospital with cold beers and burgers. And as the person walks out from their shift at the end of the day, somebody just walks up to them and hands them a burger and a, and a beer and say, hey, that's from the local watering hole. We just wanted to make sure you guys feel like we're taking care of you here. I mean, come on, you know, what kind of, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, people have respect for that. Both our existing customers as well as new customers who once the crisis passes are going to become our next watering hole customers. Yeah, for sure. So, so now let's expand on that. So say this is what they're taking on initially. And initially, there's a lot of goodwill. At the same time, how do we make this into a sustainable model? Because we don't know in the foreseeable future how long this is going to be. I was speaking to an immunologist who knows the ins and outs of all of this. He is saying that because the, the way that this virus is spread, chances are we'll go through waves of hey, this is great. Everyone can go back to work. Oh, there's something happening again. Let's go back home again. So it's going to be waves of this. So in the foreseeable future, 
We don't know how long this whole thing is going to last. So how do we create a sustainable model such that it's not relying on charitable donations forever and ever? Do you have any suggestions there? In the context of the example I gave you, I'm not sure how you get away from it being a charitable initiative. And that said, how does it become sustainable? Well, I believe that once the the major, this first wave passes, and let's assume that the economy to a large degree is reopened and people could still go into restaurants. My belief is, is that by having engaged that community during the crisis, that the community is gonna come out even stronger to support that business after the restrictions are lifted. So what the sustainable aspect is, is by seeing more customers come into that place of business post COVID crisis, it's going to create additional economic power to enable that business to make some choices about what it'll do on the next wave of shutdowns. And of course, when the next wave of shutdowns come, um, assuming it's noble, assuming it was successful, assuming that the customers and recipients feel good about it, I think continuing to publish the track record of success. In other words, show that nurse with that smile, the hamburger in one hand and the beer in the other, and you know, acknowledging and saying thank you to the customers of ADC Watering Hole who provided the support. So by regenerating the same content of community is critical. Finally, what I think is gonna come out of this um, among many other things, is the elevated importance of digital community. In other words, we always had our local watering hole, but now when the watering hole shut down, all we have is our Facebook group, for, perhaps for that watering hole or a customer list or whatever it is, that engages on a routine and regular basis with its customers and community so that it engenders even greater loyalty towards that business and those products that once we see recovery, will then rebound that business even stronger than it was pre-COVID. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one thing that some, a lot of, so let me, let me share what I've seen and what this particular theoretical restaurant can do together. So if you position your restaurant as a watering hole, now you can't have the physical space, but you can have a virtual watering hole space. What you can also do is, host virtual musical events, karaoke events, you know, even virtual lunch events and things like that. So that way you can still maintain your positioning as a place where people gather locally and then continue to provide that home delivering meals during this virtual events. That's a possibility there. So Here's another thing I'd love to talk to you next is opportunities because now there's massive amount of opportunities, one may say, and, 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 you know, a need around PPE, personal protective equipment. So as someone who started a marketplace of both investors, entrepreneurs, right? As, as we know, a marketplace is a really difficult thing to pull off because you have two customers to <laughs> versus just one. Yeah. But given the PPE situation right now, there's actually a huge need around organizing the manufacturers, right? The financing aspect of it, as well as hospitals who need tons and tons of PPEs and also innovation around PPEs. Any suggestions around maximizing or thinking about pursuable opportunities? Well, I don't have any specific ones, 
But what I would encourage everybody to do is to think about that which either you're most passionate about, interested in, or what you know. So for example, let's, let's think about movie theaters for a second. Let's just put our thought there. Sure. And I, I guess what I would do is start following the, 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 following the rabbit hole, let's call it. So what do we know? Well, okay, this whole thing is, first of all, we, we had a very sick movie industry. The, uh, the movie theater industry was not well before no. this whole thing. No. And I think it's pretty clear that this is the fatal blow to everybody. Mm. All right, mm. so a couple of things we can think about. Number one, first of all, what's going to happen to those properties? What's going to yeah. happen to the movie theater? And could they be repurposed somehow? Yeah. So if it was me, I'd go on Google and I'd write repurpose. I would just start doing some research and finding stories about people that repurposed movie theaters into something cool. I don't know what that is, but there must be something. Because it's not the first movie theater that's closed down. Yeah. So we've got, we've got some history there. So, so that could be. And maybe there's an opportunistic thing where you could buy a movie theater chain, assuming they own the leases or the real estate, and you could actually buy it at such a discount that really what you were seeking was the real estate play that no one really knew about with the conversion into something useful. So there, there's one. Second, you go, wow. So it used to be then that people would get together and go to a movie to share an experience. What are they going to be doing now? Now, everybody knows about Netflix. That's cool. But mm. that solve the whole problem. My first Tinder date, probably, I mean, I could ask to go to a movie, probably can't say, come to my couch and watch Tinder. I, I mean, watch Netflix. I don't think. It's a little, a little too intimate too soon. Right. So how do you solve that problem? Because that's what the customer was doing. Yeah, mm. they were watching a movie, but they were also connecting socially. So where else is that social connection going to exist? Mm. Um, and where is it going to shift to? We also know there's kind of, generally speaking, pre-COVID, a move against alcohol by, you know, a lot of people on the younger side of millennials or the uh, Gen Zers are moving away. You know, there's a lot of non-alcoholic drinks and all that non-alcoholic bartending and all that stuff. There's a movement. So, hmm, they may not be running to the bar. So they can't go to the movies or don't want to go to the movies anymore. So are they going to fulfill their human face-to-face -face interaction in a bar? Hmm, maybe not. So now what? Uh, hmm, single sports leagues, for example. I just don't know. All mm -hmm. I'm saying is that that's the kind of thinking that could apply to any industry. You just have to look to say, well, what was going on there that people, what was that really about? In other words, like I said, people went to see the film, but they also went to have a shared experience. They went to share some face-to-face -face interaction time. And they went because they were on first dates or Families sometimes connected that way over a film. You know, the whole family can watch a Disney film or something, even though, you know, it's designed maybe for more one demographic than another. Um, so that's the kind of thinking. And I think it applies to every single industry. You just got to kind of rethink them to find the opportunities. Do you, so there's two school of thoughts. I'm curious to know your point of view. If you look at it, uh, at the atomic unit of what a business is, is customer mechanism and uh, desired results, right? And mechanism is how you fulfill that result. So one school of thought is, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I don't want to be the tactician. I don't want to be the person who fulfills the mechanism. So let me take myself out of the equation, just focus on customer and ideal results. And I'll hire out, delegate, the, the mechanism as quickly as possible, right? So that's one school of thought. 
Another school of thought is, well, I know I'm an expert in the mechanism part. I know the market really well. I know, you know, I'm the world leading expert innovator around, let's say, biomedical engineering. So I know how to make the widget, the a unique mechanism. So therefore, I'm just gonna, I, I, I'm the expert. So I'm curious to know, as you think about business to pursue, or as you advise other entrepreneurs, are you more of the first school of thought where you take yourself out of the picture as quickly as possible and just hire out? Or are you more of a, let me be the world leading expert in the mechanism part so I can really, you know, come up with something truly, truly innovative and be the Steve Jobs, the Elon Musk, who, you know, out of box thinking, who has never, you know, come up with this original thought before? Well, Look, I mean, you, you know, you can assume some luxury. In other words, you got a rich uncle that writes you a $2 million check to do your startup. Great. Then you can just sit back and be an innovator. Perfect. For most of us. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The laugh is well-deserved. And the, but that's the thinking, by the way, of most startup entrepreneurs. They don't get it. You know, they actually think they're going to get VC money to do it, but they'll find out they won't when they try. And so the, the other way is you you got to be a bootstrapper and that sort of puts you in the line of fire in terms of being the guy that has to roll up your sleeves and do the execution at least long enough until you get the cash flow up to be able to afford to hire somebody. Right. And I, that's probably the best way. I think there's also some, something to be said for being in the trenches and learning through the school of hard knocks so that right. you can first find the product or service by being the one that's actually in the implementation. Now, I often tell people that, look, if you think you've got all the answers and you know exactly what this product is, I said, you know what, then you don't need any customer feedback. You should just go ahead and grab some, some money, some startup money and go back to the laboratory and go figure it out. Okay. There are a few people like that. For example, Steve Jobs, he didn't yep. ask anybody what an iPhone needs to be. Right. His answer was the customer doesn't even know what they want. I know what the customer wants. Right. And same with Elon. When Elon created the Tesla, he didn't run around and ask people, what is a good electric car? What do you think you want an electric car? He didn't right. do any of that. But right. I, know, I know what they mean. Okay, great. Well, guess what? They were right. right. Steve was right. Elon was right. And if you think you're Steve or Elon, just go right ahead. But guess mm. what? You're probably not. You're right. So that means get in the trenches and you roll up your sleeves and you start working with those customers until you can feel their pain. And when you feel the pain, that's when you'll be in the best spot to innovate, to solve their pain. And so, therefore, I'm probably more in that camp than the other. Cool. Well, definitely want to dive in deeper there with you on the tactical things one may do. Again, right, looking at my own experience, I, I'm very, on paper at least, definitely qualified to jump into the fray of helping develop more innovative PPEs, helping bridge the gap between the supply chain of the manufacturers, uh, hospital procurement, and the, the, the group of innovators that want to create something new. So something, you know, love to dive in deeper on how you think about creating yeah. something new there, for sure. The one, I would just remind you of the old adage, you know, that when the gold rush came, best not to be a, a miner but actually better to be the ones selling the blue jeans and the pickaxes. Okay. And remember though, that if you don't have that detailed knowledge of being a biomechanical engineer, for example, I think you might miss a lot in terms of what it is that they need to support. 
And my suspicion is, is that there's a tremendous number of really great scientists with really great innovations out there that struggle with their own self-confidence, right? And are un, unwilling to overcome their own personal limitations in bringing forward their genius and sort of merging those two things together and thinking about you and your skill set. My goodness, if we can get those engineers to really be more assertive with the innovations that they currently have, wow, there's probably a whole bunch of undiscovered, amazing technologies that would change the world. And so there's certainly that in terms of the, the self-confidence. And then the next thing is executionary success. You know, you got to be able to take the idea from lab to, to a business. And that's, that may or may not be a fit for, for example, a biomechanical engineer that has an innovation. It may not be a fit. But getting them connected with the people that, is, that are a fit and finding the way to adequately protect them and their IP, that's really, I think, critical. So those are the things that are kind of around the periphery of how biomechanical engineering is about ready to now launch into a whole new stratosphere. Because certainly the private sector is going to invest, and the government will to a large degree as well. You know, even with some of the resistance that we're seeing, I'm certain that nobody, the Trump administration included, is going to go back to sleep on this issue of pandemic. Uh, they're, they're not. They are going to be spending more money and seeking out more truly game-changing innovations that are going to stop these kinds of things wrecking the kind of havoc that it just did. Yeah, and now, so how do we innovate faster? Going from idea to prototype to in customer's hand to massive production to fulfillment. I think that's uh, definitely an opportunity there. I know that you got to run. So Ron, thank you so much for being here. There's so many more topics. I want to dive in deeper with you. But unfortunately, our time is up today. So um, for those people who are listening and inspired by you know, just how your mind thinks is there a place where we can send them to? Yeah, absolutely. So my best email is ron at startengine.com. That's ron, R-O-N, at startengine.com. Thank you for providing principles, actionable tactics. I hope that we get to do this again another time so we can you know, go into different topics such as the secondary effects. So this is what we're discussing is let's uh, stop the bleeding right now. Let's do an emergency pivot right now. But there are definitely new opportunities given this trend of virtualization and things like that, secondary effects. So I'd love to dive in deeper there with you. Ron, really appreciate you, my friend. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to see you in person and giving you a hug. Yes. Missed that a lot. All right, my brother. Take care. Bye. You too.